0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. We're back for another episode of Basic Cryptonomics, and I'm excited for today's coverage because I have a lot of topics to go through, including one where I have to out a cryptocurrency for its recent behaviors in my email. I need to do this. I feel it's necessary to do this. It's my obligation to do this because I need to inform you, ideally about this cryptocurrency and you can make your own decisions whether you support them or you don't support them. But I am saying that because of what they did, I don't think they're worth your time and I'm going to out them because I think this is, this is the first time this specific situation has happened to be honest. And to be fair, most cryptocurrencies don't go to this extreme of nonsense. So it was offensive. It's offensive that it happened. It's offensive how it happened. It's offensive that we could even get to this level of desperation in the crypto business that, We have to resort to such shady freaking tactics. And so I am going to out them, put it out. This is what it is. This is how we're going to do this and let you make your own decision from there. Before we do that, though, I'm going to get into some key news. And of course, because we are not, we're no longer on a daily cadence. And of course, if you have not been aware of the recent updates and you're kind of a newer subscriber, CryptoTalkRadio.net is our site with all of our different platforms that we are supported on for the podcast. And I do recommend you go back and listen to older episodes and kind of get up to speed. You don't have to go too far back because this all, some of these changes have taken place over the last week or two. Nothing major. It just simply changed the cadence of how we do recordings. It changed the quality, I would argue. It allowed me to spend more time to improve the quality of the podcast as it grows. And then, of course, as I go out and solicit for guests on the show, and remember, we don't charge the guests, so there's really no, there's no disincentive to coming on the show. Some of them just don't want the smoke, but we have had a couple of guests, and they've been highly regarded, and they're some of the most popular episodes we have, so check those out as well. But we're doing a lot, and we are advancing a lot. Also, there are other crypto um, endeavors that are happening to the side that I'm working on. These are not new. They've been in the process, but they take a long time. We also have other podcasts in the series. We've got Gentleman's World. Gentlemen's World is currently in a development phase. We are working to have more guests. We have had quite a few so far. They're, it's growing like I wanted it to. It follows a different cadence. And then we've got For the Love of Boxing, and For the Love of Boxing is pretty much once a week and then ad hoc as I see it. So there's a lot of different recordings happening, but with the new schedule, I'm finding that a lot more time can be dedicated to each of them individually, as opposed to spending inordinate amounts of time on any one. It also allows the listeners to jump in and get the feedback uh, that they need. So let's get into our news for basic cryptonomics at the top of the hour. Top of the list for me is NFTs. NFTs, I've always had a kind of love-hate relationship for them. In disclosure, I do own some NFTs. I've never paid a dime for any of them. They're all free from various giveaways and whatnot. Sometimes I get spam drops or whatnot, but usually the, the vast majority that I have are from giveaways that are offered as being a member of a group, and that's usually where they happen. They're like airdropped because you're a member of a group, and they'll just give them to you, and then you can sell them outside of the scope of the um, the time limits, And then I've got one that I minted myself. It's based on Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest, as they've now named it, but used to be Dragon Warrior for those. And I believe this podcast skews younger, so you young kids know it as Dragon Quest. Those in my age bracket know it from Dragon Warrior. And we played Dragon Warrior 1, 2, 3, and 4 before they started going to the new uh, numbering scheme. This is back on the Nintendo Entertainment System. This particular NFT that I have is based on the Dragon Warrior slash Dragon Quest Ecos. And when you look at it, if you're a fan of that series, you instantly will be caught by what it is. It's a photo I took. I believe it was one of the best photos I took, even though it's a simple photo. Just the, the style of what it is, I think was amazing. If you're interested in taking a look at it, at least it's on OpenSea. Uh, reach out on CryptoTalkRadio.net. Just submit the comments form and just say you're curious about the NFT and I'm happy to send you the direct link. I don't advertise it on the air because I know that many people don't care about them and so I'm not trying to sell it. But if you're curious because you're a Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest fan, submit the form and I will get you the link and you can go take a look at it. But there's a high level conversation about NFTs and it's a conversation I've had frequently. The the big issue with NFTs is that determining the value of them is still something that people struggle with because NFTs by their nature, when they started, I think it was a different vision than what we ended up with. And the Polygon network arguably made it much easier to mint NFTs. See, initially when it was on Ethereum, you had a little bit of a barrier for getting into it because you had to pay gas and the gas was pretty steep because of course it's like, you know, anywhere from 50 to $150 every time you wanted to do it. And so you had kind of this aspect of scarcity of supply with the diversity of NFTs. There weren't a lot of people doing it because they didn't want to pay the gas on it. Now with Polygon basically making it free, and that was how I meant to mine, it was free. Now anybody, any, as they say, Tom, Dick, and Harry can spin up an NFT of anything they want. You can just basically take somebody else's photo and you can publish it as an NFT. And sometimes people will buy it because they don't know any better. We've seen NFTs for memes. Uh, Nas recently did NFTs for music. And so I think we're getting to the point where the vision's coming back into play, but I think we've diluted the product so much that people are starting to get turned off by NFTs. Certainly those of my generation and older, we don't care about NFTs nearly as much as the younger kids. Some people have likened it to the old days of trading cards and baseball cards and all that, and I completely emphatically disagree when you had baseball cards let's say there was a time when i was collecting baseball cards and i was an avid collector of baseball cards and we had a store that was down the road and anybody who's in the or has been in the San Diego, California area if you knew basically Paradise Valley area in San Diego there was a, a KFC and the KFC it was one of the first to do delivery and i'm talking you young kids don't know this but this KFC used to do its own delivery, which they've never done since. But they had their own delivery thing, and you could get KFC delivered to your door. Behind this KFC, or to the left of it, if you're behind it, was a lumpia shop. And then across from that, and in kind of this really shady, seedy, you know, shopping thing that everything was boarded up except this, there was a, a collectible card trading store. Bars on the windows, whole nine. But you go in there, and they have everything. They got all sorts of stuff in this, and there was an appeal. There was something about seeing all the different cards on display, seeing kind of legacy cards from the sixties and the seventies, and they're in protective sleeves and you get, you know, you can buy whole kits of the thing. And some people would buy the tops with the bubble gum and you would try to find the rare cards and the cards you didn't have. And you would talk to a friend and say, Hey, do you have this card? I'm just missing this one or, or even in the, we've changed it since, but there used to be with McDonald's. They used to do McDonald's monopoly and you would get the board and then you had to collect all the pieces to make a thing in order to win surprise. And we would talk with friends. Everybody's on it because we all do McDonald's trying to get that last. Either it was board Boardwalk or Park Place every year. Everybody gets the one. Usually it's Park Place, let's say. But nobody gets the other one, which is Boardwalk. And it would frustrate because you would try to reach out and try to find this. And, of course, in this era, we don't have cell phones. We don't have tablets. We don't go online. We're just in the regular Everyday society and talking to people and trying to see who's in this thing and who has this—that's how we treated baseball cards. That's how we treated basketball cards. That's how we treated wrestling cards when wrestling was a was was a real thing. I'm not talking what you see today, which is not wrestling. It's it's a clown show. It's a circus, Cirque du Soleil. It's not really wrestling. I'm talking real wrestling, pro wrestling, but also the monopolies and everything where there's a collectible, because part of the appeal was the interacting with people. It it really wasn't about the card. And sometimes it was, because maybe we were fans of whoever it was, like Don Mattingly, for example. But it was really about the, it was the act of collecting, but also interacting with people. And I think NFTs does not do very good about the interaction part. We're basically, it's a commodity. We're basically spinning up something. We're tossing an image at it. And then we put it up for sale. We hope somebody buys it because they're stupid enough to buy it if it's garbage, like the Melania Trump thing with a white hat. So I I've always struggled with now. Before I could kind of see it, now I struggle with the value of NFTs. And that's been a conversation that's spun back up again. What really is the value of this? Initially, just to give you some of the technicals behind this, and again, this podcast seems to skew somewhat younger. So I'm assuming most of you are in it or have been interested in it or have followed it to some degree. So hopefully some of this resonates with you. But in the beginning the thought was with non-fungible the idea is we're creating something that is provably unique that is provably specific to this here's where we went wrong when we allowed people to create inventories excessive inventories of that same it no longer is unique by definition of set so i'm fine if you had let's say 5 remember in the old well some of you are younger but in the old days you might have a card let's say it's a let's say it's jordan's first every game and it's a card and it's him going up for a dunk. And it's the first time he's ever done it. There might've only been 500 in the world ever made. And so when you got that, there was something special to it because later somebody who is then creating a collection of Michael Jordan overall is likely to pay big money for this. Uh, Transformers. I'm not talking about what we see today that they call Transformers. That's not Transformers. unless you got the truck, it's with Optimus Prime, it's not Transformers. But, in the old days, Transformers was a collectible something. You had certain parts and certain of the robots that were collectible by their nature. Like, for example, collecting all the planes, Swoop, Starscream, etc. If you had that whole collection of planes, which at the time was a little bit tricky to do, you, have, you created a collectible something. Uh, certain video games are collectible because there was not very many made. Uh, I remember Bible Adventures was a terrible game, but they only made a certain amount. And then later... Increased in price because of the scarcity aspect of it, because there was only a few made. What we're seeing in NFTs is that somebody can make 10,000 of them, let's say, give out 6,000. That would work if we knew that the billions of people on the earth actually cared about them, but they don't. Because only 4% of the known world is even aware of cryptocurrency. That's not even counting who's interested in NFTs, which is a much lower number. So the scarcity has to be way higher meaning that you have to have less in the supply when you mint an NFT and it's got to be something that has intrinsic value to whoever's looking at it so when I see this bored apes crap for example I see no reason why anybody would be interested in this garbage I, I consider them garbage my personal opinion same with CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks is absolute terrible to me that people would buy art that looks like that but yet they'll criticize stardew valley for having the same artwork like do you see what I mean like to me there's No real sense to it. It just seems like it's because they're the popular thing to do. People are just jumping on the bandwagon and just going with it. Kind of like Pokemon go same kind of thing. And so personally, I attribute value to what the individual likes of a thing as, and for me, I have no problem with that as long as they can explain that value to me, explain it to me other than art school. What's the real value to you as an individual? For example, there are some NFTs of really done, really good artwork. Like somebody's gone and they painted a thing and it looks amazing. I think that's a great thing to have as an NFT, but you got to think about it. If you had painted that in the real world, quote unquote, there's only going to be one of it. You would not have painted 10,000 of them. So ideally you would create one, mint one, only ever one, and then you would make that for sale. And then whoever owns that one, it is what it is. Instead, what we do is we mint like, A thousand or five thousand or something, because we want so many people to own it, because we're trying to maximize profit. I think we've gone the wrong way, and that has diminished the value of NFTs. It's also saturated the the market. I was having a conversation with one of the token devs uh, on Discord about the fact that it's not about you and doing NFTs. I just think it's overplayed. I think it's saturated, and we're we're diminishing the value of NFTs in general because people see so many of them. Everybody's spinning one up. I think people are getting tired of it. I would suspect people that listen to this podcast are frankly tired of it and tired of having pushed in your face. It doesn't mean you don't do them. I just think we need to, if we're going to do it, I think we need to get back to the value, the value principles that we started with, which is to say, this has a unique value in of itself and it has a true scarcity based on what it is. There's only ever one of a thing. And we're not just doing silly artwork. We're doing artwork that has true present value. Meaning I look at it and the vast majority of people would say, that's awesome. As opposed to what we see now is I'm putting something out and I'm hoping that one person in the crowd thinks it's cool. That's that's a commodity at that point, and I don't support it. So part of the conversation has been, well, how do we how do we increase the value beyond what we've done? Because we know that it's a problem. And they're talking about things like some like and Gamana. I covered that on a past episode. Go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it or you're new. But Dolce & Gabbana, they released NFTs, but they're tied to a physical product. Now, of course, their products look like crap, in my opinion, but there are rich people that have nothing better to do that are buying this. So they found a market, Nas with the music one, crashed, I believe it was Polygon. So there's an audience, certainly, because they were able to get enough there. And I do think that's a decently good use for NFTs. Problem again is when you're buying music, you're not buying the original master of a thing. You're, you're buying a copy of a song, which we were paying $0.99 cents per M33 for, and we fought to get that level of credibility. If you're younger, you don't realize the battle it took to get to $0.99 cents for an MP3 that you can freely download and load on any device that you want, and then unlimited people across the world can buy it. Yes, that means that unlimited people can copy it, but that's the risk you took in order to make it accessible. If you're putting the NFTs out there to basically kind of force the fact that you're only going to get it through this and charge more money I think we're going backwards we're going backwards in time or we're not doing what we should do which I would like to see which is here are some ideas for anybody who's in NFTs or trying to create an NFT or is in the business here are some suggestions that I think anybody listening can agree these would be things worth paying for How about you create an NFT and there's only one minted and it gives you access to the original master of the audio and you own the rights then to the original master and you charge a certain amount of money for this. And of course, this is only going to be your super wealthy. But what it does is it allows that NFT to create value, but also exposure for the artist. Second, you have another tier and this is a different NFT and you say this one entitles you to a copy of the vinyl right? Because vinyls are still being made records. They're still being made. They're actually more popular because of the clarity, the audio, as opposed to the compression that is digital audio. Okay. This one can have multiple mints because you would create multiple vinyls, right? And you create multiple mints and you say, we're only going to create 10,000 of these. So if you want a vinyl, you've got to buy an NFT and it'll entitle you to the vinyl and you will pay more money because it's, it's limited supply. It's scarcity. I guarantee you that one's going to skyrocket and go crazy. Let's say you create another tier that says, do you actually want a cassette of this? And you're like, wow, cassette, huh? Think about it. Some people are just collectors. They just collect things or they collect things that are artifacts from a, from a pastime, right? We Some of us have a craving for that is that which is nostalgic. And so doing this creates now a new brand. You're creating a brand around NFTs tied to physical products that have some value to somebody but now you can mint multiple because the product is what's truly scarce. The NFT is simply basically the certificate. So if you think in the old days, there used to be in CDs and in other aspects, media aspects, you used to be able to get buy something and you would get a certificate of, of ownership that is unique to you. It's a unique number. It's unique. Everything tied to you. There's only ever one of this printed or like the DeLorean or something that is unique to you. But you can only do that with something that has that distribution model tied to it already. So that's a key idea I would like to see. And I would like to see a decline in the number of random garbage images like Bored Ape and CryptoPunks that are being created that don't really solve a problem. And they don't really do anything. I'm sure that some people, clearly, some people have value in those. I'm not saying not do the art. I'm saying I don't think they should be NFTs. Like if you want to do the art and sell the art, cool. I'd rather you do that. Than to dilute NFTs and ideally we get back to what NFTs could and should be. That would actually lend value, true value that is beyond an, an image that you can right-click, download, and save. I know I went on about NFTs for a while, but it's a huge thing now that people are kind of, they're getting it, they're understanding, you know, we, we need to get our hands around what do we want this thing to be? And we got to fix some other stuff here. On other news, of course, the Biden administration, you know, energy uses deep, deep, deep. Continues being a thing. And, you know, Biden executive order about the uh, cryptocurrency and I anticipate to be the precursor to a ban uh, crypto or somehow lock down a cryptocurrency. And I do believe that this is part of the symptom of why the general industry is down. Because if you notice the graph, we hit the plateau for Bitcoin and Ethereum and then things started going down again. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that we're at the bottom yet. Um, We do seem to be fluctuating a bit, but we know that people are hoarding Bitcoin and have been hoarding Bitcoin while they weather the storm. We know that the Russia-Ukraine situation is playing somewhat of a factor. We don't know how much, but sentiment is harmed because of that. We know that with this executive order that's being claimed that it's just going to make stuff worse. We arguably agree. It only said, hey, do some more research and figure out how how we can wrap our heads around crypto. Now, the interesting thing, though, is... The treasury secretary, her name is Janet Yellen. She thinks that the executive order and things about the digital currency, we don't need it, at least not now, it's premature and we're getting ahead of ourselves and we need to still just do what we're doing because we have a right, we're on the right track with our plan, but an executive order is premature. We don't need to do anything yet and we're just overreacting to what we see. And this is true. We see clearly that we are just, we're just, acting. We're, we're acting to this person got scammed, or this rug pull happened or this happened this. And yes, they're getting worse. They're arguably getting worse. I actually have a news update, internal news update about that here later. They're, they're happening. They're getting worse. But a lot of these are fundamental things. They're, they are things where sometimes you just play the risk and you work to mitigate it. You've heard me talk about, if you've been listening for a while, you've heard me talk about mitigating your risk. And I don't think people do enough of a job mitigating their own risk despite my every effort to tell them made a bull run. If you didn't know, had rug pulled, I covered made a bull run some time ago and I had told the story. It's like your white paper is because you're telling people this is not an investment. And I'm sorry, it is an investment because you're investing money with the intent of getting a return. So it's an investment by definition. What you mean is that it's not a security. That's a different definition though. It is an investment. And as long as you have this verbiage, I will not support you. I went into their telegram at the time and I was telling people, why do you have this verbiage? It is an investment. And Why are you calling this out? It's a red flag. And I got completely attacked by everybody in that room. We were, we're talking some major cheerleaders in this room. Absolutely. I don't think there's been a single room ever since that, other than maybe Satama's uh, in the early days, where there was this level of cheerleading and no common sense and no receptiveness to fundamental facts. So I left because I didn't want to be disruptive. Turns out later, I believe that was like a week later or some odd, rug pulled. They yanked the liquidity and it's dead. The token's still out there, but they yanked the liquidity and then dashed. Now, what we're seeing is other ones, um, the most notable, most recent one that happened. uh, It's not a rug pull by definition, by core definition, but it's a rug pull by abstract. So I covered Earnhub a while ago. And if you go back, that's in the past in the archives if you go back to that episode, what I said was this token has had a lot of issues. I don't think they're handling the migrations very clean. No migration's ever gone that well. And then they did a Dow vote for the new token and they had issues getting it over there. And then once they did the Dow, they did all sorts of gimmicks to lock things down and try to preserve the liquidity and prevent people from just doing dump sales because people were pissed off because of all the issues that were happening. There was a lot of people pissed off. And so, we knew that people were going to dump this thing. We didn't know the severity of the dump. I mean, mine went 10x down, <laughs> negative 10x. It went down a lot. Now, I didn't have a lot in there because I was watching it for to cover it, right? So, I didn't have a lot in there, but then they do the, the AnyFlex, and I covered that the AnyFlex was buggy as all get out, and I told them they really should fix this because it's not working the way it's supposed to. I had shared that feedback to Reddit, to Telegram, everywhere else that your anyflect is buggy and you need to fix this, or you're gonna get people leaving this product. It's not doing that was your number one sales pitch. Is this anyfleck thing It's not doing what they said it should do. Then the staking pools come in and the staking pools were kind of cool. The problem is that the staking pools, it seemed like they were just as buggy as the Anyflect. Now I didn't cover the staking pools because I only tossed a little bit in there and watched it and it wasn't for me and I pulled it out and just let anyflect do its thing and Yes, anyflex paid, but it was not what they promised. It was not what they advertised, and you know me. If you heard me, I follow that you what you told me. If it does what you told me, I'm cool with it. If it doesn't do what you told me, I'm going to call you out on it. And they, It wasn't doing what they told me, and that was the number one sales pitch was this anyflex thing, and it's innovative, and going to change the business, and all this great stuff. Didn't really happen the way they told you unless if you had invested a lot of money in it. Fast forward, and then people have their stuff staked into uh, the staking pools. Later, we see that the price is just dropping. It just instantly drops like a rock. They send out an emergency report, into their credit, they did a very thorough job detailing exactly what happened. Uh, what they said was that somebody had breached part of the smart contract. They figured out an exploit to be able to get the funds out. They knew who it was, and they were going to work to try to get it back. But in the meantime, they're going to walk away from the project because they realize they can't fix the code, and they're going to spit up a new token called Anyflect. And they're going to get rid of the staking pools and just focus on the Anyflect because, again, that was their whole pitch. That was their whole bread and butter was this Fleck business. So they said, we'll create a token just by that. They called back one of the old dudes that was working the project. And we're. I'm not following it because I have a theory that this isn't going to go out well because you've already made so many mistakes that investor sentiment is lost. And I, I talked about that before. Once you lose the investor sentiment, it's hard to get it back. And you made so many missteps. It's going to be hard to sell them on a whole new token, even if you do airdrop it. So then I see on a kind of a passive thing later, it's like, okay, we, you know, we trying to do this and we're not going to go forward with this. It's not going to work. We, we can't, we can't support this. So we're just not going to do the token. We're just going to disappear. So they disappeared. I didn't have any money left in it because I'd already sold out the wide variety. What I had left in there probably would have been about maybe 10 bucks at the, at the peak. I didn't, I totally liquidated because as I always say to you guys, Make sure you take profit because you just don't know when a token is going to yank on you. Even if they're not truly malicious in intent, you don't know. And so make sure you take profits because it's at the point where you just don't know, even if they're not malicious. So now that story coupled with recently EverRise, and I have not covered EverRise because I wanted to give them time to mature a little bit. And I plan to cover them actually probably next week, but I didn't cover them, but I've been invested in it. EverRise, this whole deal, they've got like eight different utilities built into their ecosystem, and one of them is EverStake. And the EverStake is just like your other staking. It's no different than the staking. And you stake your tokens in there, and they give you how long you want to stake it. You can choose. And then at some point, you can cash out the rewards. You can then reinvest the rewards. You're paying gas, but you can do it. So I bought a little bit of a bag. It's not much. It's like 4 bucks. Toss it in the staking pool so I could watch it, so I can do a report with Raw data, and for those that don't know, that may be new to the podcast. The way that I do coverage on tokens, I believe I'm not I'm not going to ever shill a project, and I'll get to that in here in a second. I'm not going to shill a project. I believe that if you don't have skin in the game, you can't fairly cover a token. So I buy in, so that I can test it and test that it's doing what they told me. I want to kick the tires on it truly as an investor with my own money in, so I know what it feels like when it crashes and I know what it feels like when it grows and I can watch the growth and crash and all that. Every token I buy in, watch the fundamentals and the tokenomics, make sure it's working, do the best I can, to follow all the different things. Problem is they all go to telescam, so I don't always see it. But I do the best I can to try to keep up with it. And then at some point when I'm confident I know what it's about, I know what they're doing and here's how it works, I'll do coverage on it. There are some people who buy into the projects as investors and they don't agree with my coverage because they're so they don't want their bag hurt. I don't really care if they don't want their bag hurt. You've made a decision and the risk you've accepted to buy into that project disregarding all the fundamental things I cover. So for me, I look at it as I'm expecting you, even if you may be younger to say this person did a lot of due diligence. They bought in with their own money. They're an investor like me. They saw things I didn't see now make your own choice about how you interpret the findings. The point is I am doing it as an investor And I do it for free with my own money. I'm not shilled to do it. I know that there's a desire to have shills shill your product because you want your bag to grow. That's a desperation fallacy. I will not support it because it's a disservice to you. Why would I want you to be in a project that eventually is going to rug pull on you? Or I believe that it will just so that you can make a little bit of money in the quick term. And that's assuming you're quick enough on the trigger to beat the bots and everything else that's out there. So my coverage is designed to help inform you, make your own choice, but if it turns out I'm right, I want you to come back and give me my credit and say, you know what? He tried to warn us. He tried to tell us these things were red flags. We didn't listen to him. We're listening now. We're going to listen to the podcast and we have to think about his his real coverage and use that to guide our decisions. So with EverRise, I have my token staked in there and I'm confident in EverRise as a token developer. I have no issues. They're not they're not going to scam you. They're not going to rip you off. They're probably one of the most credible in token development groups you can think of in the business. They recently had a hack of their EverStake. Now, here's the difference between EarnHub and this EverStake. With EarnHub, everything was drained, the entire staking pools were drained. So you essentially lost everything. They had a little bit of money left over, they took off with it, but the staking pools, which is where the vast majority of people's wealth token wealth was put was the liquidity was drained out of those pools entirely with ever stake the only part that was drained was the actual rewards that you would have earned but your actual stake was left intact because of the way they built the model behind the scenes to insulate and segment it's called container strategy where you have different containers to where you're minimizing the risk you're saying that we're spreading this around you can think of the best analogy i can give you would be And this is actually good advice. If you have, let's say $10,000 and you dump it into one bank account, if that bank account gets breached, you've lost everything. But let's say if you have four different accounts and you put $2,500 in each one of them. Now, if one gets breached, you only lost 25% of your total amount of money. Is it harder to do transactions? Sure. But you can always transfer bank to bank and there are ways to do this quickly If you need to have larger money and say you need to have $5,000 one day, you just transfer from one bank to the other and do the transaction. So it causes more work for you. But what you're doing is you're protecting your assets by spreading it out. You've heard the term, hopefully, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's where that comes from, is if you put everything in one, you are increasing your risk that something could happen, something catastrophic. And in Everstake's case, or Everrise, Everstake, they chose in the bill to segment the rewards pools from the actual stake. That meant that it minimized how much you would have lost because you only would have lost something that you never even realized as a gain. How do you think of that? If you stake, let's take a CD. If you don't know what CDs are at the bank, it's called a certificate of deposit. And what it says is you are going to let us hold a certain amount of money. Usually it's like a thousand dollars. And in a period of time, usually it's like five years you're going to get interest over that time. And then when you, when you, when when it matures, meaning it's ready now for payout, we'll take that interest and we'll pay it plus your money back. And why do you do that? Because it adds security to the bank and their funds because they use your funds in order to lend money to other people. It's a very similar process actually with cryptocurrency. Staking, CD is nothing more than a form of staking if you think about it. So the way that they did this was brilliant because your money, Essentially, that you you knew you earned and realized as yours that you staked ha- is safe. But the money that you haven't yet realized because you couldn't cash it out because it's locked in the staking pool, that rewards pool is lost. It was a couple hundred thousand dollars, as opposed to the millions that EarnHub got breached for. My story, and the summary, and the moral of all this is: when you see a developer that has worked to try to do things correctly. And they work to minimize mistakes and they're working to build utility and they're actively trying that like, they're trying to do the right thing by their investors. That to me is the one that they're the ones that really are worth your time and attention because they're not trying to shill you on the product. They're not trying to tell you hundred X let's fucking go. They're trying to do things by action designed to increase your trust in them as a project. And as a result, I was going to their social medias and, you know, most people are like, I don't like that it happened, but it's pretty cool that number one, you notified us immediately. And number two, you built it to mitigate that problem. So where it mitigates the risk in my bag is basically left to load and you're going to replenish the rewards from your reserves. So they're actually, they're acting like a business. And that I think is important. Mr. Sagala on an earlier episode, go back and listen to that one. He talked about it, you know, find utility tokens, tokens that do something, tokens that are trying to do the right thing. And as a result, EverRise's price has been pretty darn stable and pretty darn strong. And they've worked hard, uh, considering where they came from, they've worked really hard to be that standout company. People talk about SafeMoon all the time. SafeMoon has utility as well. SafeMoon is nowhere close to what EverRise has built as an ecosystem yet. Will it get there? Maybe. But I would argue they're one of the top tier. So these breaches that I'm describing, and I gave those two examples I got one more for you, but I gave those two examples as the white house is reacting to that. They're reacting to the fact that these breaches are happening and they feel like they got to regulate it because the current administration feels that they have to protect people in the United States. In other countries, they're doing lockdowns not because they're trying to protect the citizens necessarily, but because they're trying to centralize the the currency. They want central control of the currency in general. I don't think the U S wants central control of the currency, They just want regulations around how the currency is done, which gives them distributed control. If you think of it, you would have some organization that's around cryptocurrency because it's pegged to fiat, the federal reserve has got to be involved. And then you got Congress involved for any regulatory changes, et cetera. So you got more distributed control, whereas other countries, I think they just want to control the central digital dollar. It's my opinion. The other breach I want to talk about is on the Solana chain. They have an, marketplace it's called Market magic eden for their nfts and they've had a hard time of it because we know that crypto has their rug pulls they happen all the time and we know how they behave it basically is you know you buy into a token project then at some point the devs do something to destroy the project and remove liquidity or just harm it to the point that nobody's everybody's at a loss and nobody gains but you may not have known the nfts have a similar type of risk although it takes a different form and so, what's happened here with Magic Eden specifically? But it happens all over the place. It's not just them, but they're the only ones to take action around it. What happens is you spin up an NFT. So I I talked about the fact that anybody can spin up an NFT, and for the most part, they're free, and there's not enough risk to mitigate this. We've we've dumbed it down to make it so easy for people to do it. It increases the level of scams because now anybody can do it, even the malicious actors. Well, what happened is that there was a, they called it King of Chess, and it was a collection, NFT collections. And it was supposed to be an NFT chess game. So you're thinking, okay, you're using, you're gamifying NFTs and there's some intrigue to this and how can this work? Because we knew that there are NFT games out there and what's this going to look like? You do this and then as people mint and they get these, these NFTs in their collection, they're able to yank all the liquidity out from behind the scenes. They're able to yank all the funds, all the money out of this. This has been uh, reported. It's all to law enforcement. They're trying to fix it. They're trying to get the money back, but it's believed that they're kind of long gone. Now, the important takeaway of this is not the fact that it happened because it happens all the time. What Magic Eden's chosen to do is to implement their version of KYC. And for them, it'll work the very same way as many of the exchanges where it's a private KYC. Essentially, you're required to document all these facts and information about the person to try to mitigate what's happened. Will this have a appreciable impact on it? I say no because we've seen other projects where there's KYC involved and you still have this type of risk. My opinion is the best solution to something like this is to get away from free minting of NFTs. I think there should be a charge to mint an NFT. I think the charge should be substantial for that. I believe that it should be, large enough to be a disincentive to anybody who would be a malicious actor. Meaning that if you're coming in and you want to create an NFT collection, you should have a minimum one eighth worth to do it. So if I'm on Solana, you're talking, you know, whatever, hundred, actually it's more than that. It's like 500 worth Solana. Regardless, it's a hundred eighth worth of capital coming in, in order to mint the NFTs and then you're charged for every NFT that you mint And when you do the sale, so let's say you sell an NFT to a friend or somebody else at that point, you're required to collect basic information from the person you sold to. And you have to exchange basic information and you have to verify the exchange information. What I'm proposing would be done by the NFT platform. So picture it this way. When I want to do Craigslist, um, for, for those not in the United States, Craigslist is a platform that allows us to do swap trades or we can buy a product that somebody's selling. It's kind of like a digital garage sale at most. There's other services, but that's its predominant use. Um, eBay's kind of the same way, but Craigslist is better parallel, I think. In Craigslist, I, as a somebody posting something for sale, would have had to register with Craigslist. Then I have to do a verification with Craigslist, but it doesn't ask for significant amounts of personal data. When somebody wants to buy from me, they have to contact me via email address, which means I have their email, and from there, I can request anything I want from them. This data doesn't flow back up to Craigslist at all. Craigslist doesn't know. If we take it offline, they have no way of knowing. However, I call the shots as the person who posted as to how the transaction is going to go. I can say, when you get here, I'm collecting your your ID or whatever. They can say, can I see your ID or something, because maybe I'm selling something that is sensitive or protected or something else. And they can request and we negotiate it to give each other certainty and assurance that, Hey, this isn't going to be a scam. Sometimes you might take somebody with you for to be safe. Cause you never know about neighborhoods and that. I think something similar, but then brokered by magic Eden and other platforms like OpenSea to say, we're going to do an exchange of information. So both sides know who they are. Ideally we would have that trust enough that most of the malicious actors will get freaked out. They won't want to do it. They'll be scared to do it and they'll go to easier fruit. One of the edicts of criminal behavior is most of the time, criminals are not going to go the hardest path unless it's really worth doing. Like if we're talking a $500 NFT, most criminals are going to say, eh, why do that when I could just spin up a token and make $200,000? Because it's easier to create a token. It's anonymous. You don't have to worry about the stuff. So that's my opinion. I think... This that they're trying to do with the lockdown, the KYC, isn't solving the problem. I think actually more KYC is worse than more uh, because we already have a lot of sensitive information floating out there. And we know that there's breaches of people's identity and that can be more harmful overall. If your identity gets breached because Magic Eden gets hacked, now you could be actually out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in some cases due to the larger span of the breach as opposed to simply implementing something that does an information exchange brokered by that. Uh, marketplace to help protect people as they do exchange. That's my personal opinion. I don't share any other person's opinion. It's my personal. I just think KYC is never the right answer. I know why they do it. I don't think it solves the problem because as we see so many other exchanges that do KYC, they get breached and nothing really happens. It doesn't really solve the problem from my perspective. Now let's get to the fun stuff here because I'm not going to, it's actually an underdog token. So it is an underdog token. So I guess it qualifies in my normal coverage of underdog tokens. If you go back in the past, in the archives, underdog tokens is what I do primarily because I want to expose you to different tokens that I think may be worth your time and look. And here's the thing. If you want to look at these guys, I am not in any position to stop you. I, I'm going to follow it along and just tell you, here's what I see. And then it's up to you how you perceive it. But first I need to tell the story. This token apparently is called magic of universe and magic of universe. From what I can tell, uh, is reasonably new. I can't tell exactly when it released is on the Binance smart chain. They call it Binance public chain. There's no such thing. Magic of universe And I'm literally going there right now. And I'll tell you why I'm going there right now as opposed to earlier, because it all ties together. When you go to magicuniverse.games, you are presented with a screen that shows you that there's apparently a game that is to be played. It's not really a site. It presents it like a game. They have a link elsewhere to what they call a white paper. It's in Gitbook. And if you've heard my past episodes, you know I don't support Gitbook because I want a flat PDF. So already right there. They're off my list. They're not worth my time because they're already trying to hide any changes in things they do. Regardless, I read further. They even tell you, white paper's gonna be changed all the time. We're gonna make these changes, so red flag. Red flag number one, your site isn't really a site, it looks like a game, which is gonna turn off investors, especially because there's nothing else to it. You don't have anything beyond this. The moment you connect to this thing, it wants you to authorize a wallet. Red flag number two, before you even tell me who you are, before you even tell me what you're about, before you even tell me the point of you, you already want me to connect my wallet and anybody listening, you should never connect your wallet to an untrusted thing. It should be a service you fully trust. Don't just blindly connect your wallet because we've seen, especially with MetaMask, that people's wallets are getting hacked because they're getting more creative trying to trick you into connecting your wallet up front before any other due diligence. These guys expected you to read the white paper and say, Yay, and then click on the game and just start playing and then connect your wallet, da, da. And that's a good way to get your money taken. So please don't do that. In their white paper, what they call a white paper, they say vision and values. Quote A self-sustained ecosystem with open world economy balance. This is a garbage statement. Let me tell you why. Let's break it out. Self sustained ecosystem. What do you mean when you say self-sustained, number one? Number two, what do you mean by ecosystem? Number three, and this is the other tail end, open world economy balance. Like, think about what they're trying to tell you. Envision it in your head. Your, Your call to action is try to create a picture in your head of what they're trying to do. You won't create one because it's either too lofty or it's BS, frankly. Quote, Self-sustained ecosystem is the core to the next evolution of mankind. We mankind will then will then may focus, seek for another higher purpose in life. So let's break that down. So first of all, you said the same BS statement you just said above without clarifying it. Then you have absolutely terrible grammar. We mankind will then may focus, seek. You didn't, you didn't spend any time quality checking your white paper. You have BS statements in there. You have a website that just takes you to a game and wants you to connect your wallet straight away. And you're not digging in to tell people what the heck is going on with this thing. Quote, we aim to deliver a new verse of game That's uh, that's a direct quote. <laughs> Mine, that's their, that's their acronym for magic of universe, whatever. Got reward with in-game coin that may opt to pancake swap or fiat to local currency. This is the worst written sentence I think I've ever heard of any, and I've reviewed a lot of writings and I've given criticisms on things. And this is the worst written thing. And then you close it out by repeating the same garbage, self-sustained ecosystem with the open world economic balances. So these guys are full of crap. And i I'm sorry, I will say that they're full of crap because your vision of values, you slap this together in like two minutes to just put fluffy words that you thought would sound good because you want to try to trick young people who don't understand that you're full of crap. And you're banking on the game to impress people, despite the fact that there have been so many scams with games in the past. Meet the team. So, this is their attempt to KYC, presumably. Combination brought together by a team from different industries as a game developer. The caps are all over the place, it's a nightmare aims to bring fun and exciting game environment community, whatever the almost cussed, whatever the heck that means started with four core members. Influence has spread what influence of what countries such as Singapore, Malaysia, the U S the Philippines and China developer team are originate from terrible from Singapore with support of Hong Kong product department marketing and support team are from Singapore, Malaysia, U S Philippines and China. So the people who are building this thing are from Singapore and the people who are marketing this thing are everywhere else, okay? Jacob Dong, that's what he says, genius full-stack developer, having 11 years in traditional game planning, deep research on blockchain, which make the game even more playing profit, probability, which make the game even more playing probability. I I understand the people listening skew younger, But as I read that, you know, it's BS, you know, it's crap. As I read that, and trust me, you can go read it yourself. I'll share the link out there, magicuniverse.games. You won't find the white paper there. You can try, but uh, okay. So now he has this Jacob Dung dude. He's got uh, basically a high level online resume. Is what it looks like here. He does not though have uh, a LinkedIn site. And you're like, well, why does that matter? The thing is, if you're going to create an online resume, and that's what this appears to be from my view of it, if you're going to do that, he's from the Philippines, that's fine. You normally are also going to have a LinkedIn because it would give us research into who you follow and who follows you, and we can do a little bit deep dive as to who you are. Other than that, it's just a page. It doesn't tell us more that I think we need to know. Also, if he's from the Philippines, I question what I see as far as imagery here I digress. Kent Miller, 10 years of mobile internet entrepreneurial experience. That doesn't make any sense. Employed in company invested by several top funds. Let me spoil this for people. Everybody who's ever worked for a public company, even if it's not publicly traded, but a public company has been employed by quote, a company invested by several top funds because getting fund investment, whether it's angel funding or everything else is a standard in business. This is not a standout thing that I want to see. Gary Park, six years of blockchain technology research and development aimed to solve every technical issues on time when occur. Not, I read this and I'm, I can tell that one person wrote this. They didn't reach out to the people to really understand what they should write. And it's almost like they made people up. I'm being honest. That's what it feels like to me. Official launch January. I'm skipping one of this because it's garbage. Official launch 1st of January. So they allegedly launched roughly coming up on two months ago. Based on blockchain NFTs, aimed to to build to economically balanced open world. There's that bullshit again. Sorry, BS again. It promotes the creation of illusions, transactions, and PK <laughs> between users as core goals. There's... There's nothing here. There's nothing here. They get the contract code. That's fine. Apparently, they had a contract, and then something went wrong, and then they had to launch a new contract fresh off launch. So already they jacked up in their launch. So that's, like, I could go down the list of all the different red flags I see in this. And I'm not going to bore you with every part of the white paper because it's a, it's a garbage white. It's not even a white paper. It's garbage. It's straight up garbage. I, I can't, I don't even know why this, I don't even know why this became a thing, but I want to look deeper in their terms and everything else. They copied this from some template. And the reason I know they copied this from some template is that they're referring to United States legal compliance. And they're saying the words that are there do not, nobody that's in the Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, China, they wouldn't care about the verbiage I see. They wouldn't care. So I can tell they copy pasted this from something It's a template, generic words. There's nothing to it at all. It doesn't mean anything. Their privacy policy, this is copy template. They copied it from some other site. I'm pretty sure I could find it, but they copied this. They didn't really build this. They didn't really do anything here. This is not, this is slapped together. And you're like, well, Leicester, why are you covering it then? Because it looks like it's crap. I'm covering it for two reasons. One, to tell you that I think it's crap. Two, these jokers reached out. They sent an email. They actually sent two as a template to a bunch of people who are on YouTube. And on YouTube, we have a section that's about us for business opportunities. These jokers sent an email to everybody I can tell that had some YouTube something scraped their email address and then put it into an email and they sent it across saying quote would you be interested to be on board as our partner I saw and loving your personal style watching your YouTube channel first of all if they watched or listened to any of our videos on YouTube they would know that we are neutral and we criticize where we want to and we don't shill because we repeat that multiple times and not a single one of our posts is shilling any project whatsoever so if you wanted to a partner, I'd be the last person to contact. They just scraped a bunch of emails. They didn't watch any of this stuff. They didn't listen to any of this stuff because if they did, they'd realize I'm about to run them through the ringer on today's episode. And they didn't realize this. I responded to them in the email when I saw this garbage, and told them I am going to make sure I cover you and tell people that they should not invest in you because you're basically asking for shillers, and I'm not going to do this. Says, I'm reaching out. Because I think you're a fit for our game, which is now ongoing. It has started our pre-mining and now the game's already launched. Kindly see attached file. First of all, in any business venture, in anything, in anything you can think of, I don't care if it's crypto or it's your work or something else. If you ever get somebody who sends you a message, a text, an email, anything, and they start a sentence with the word kindly, it's likely a scam. Just FYI this. If you're interested, please register here and revert back to me with your registered email address and your Binance wallet address that you register with. If this doesn't scream red flag to you, I don't know what would. And I can tell these people don't get it. They don't get how spam is a problem, especially in the United States. They don't get the per- the perception. That when you do this, number one, you come across as desperate. But number two, you lose credibility. You lose respect. I have no reason to invest in your project because you're coming at me wanting a shiller despite the fact that my coverage is anti-shiller. That means you didn't listen to any of my coverage because if you did, you would have approached it and said, we know that you don't want to buy in the project. We know that you're neutral. We want you to cover our project fairly. You didn't do that. You sent it to a bunch of people on the email asking for shillers. That's what you did and you exposed everybody's email to everybody else. Now, it's public if it's on YouTube. The point is, putting it all in an email like this is unprofessional, and I can't imagine why you would think this is a good idea. It's not going to work, and your project's going to fail because you did this. They have an attachment. Quote, in the early stage, it's based on the Binance chain. In the following, it will open multi-chain. That sentence doesn't make any sense. This is clearly not a native English speaker. This is a farewell to the one-way Krypton game, which is criticized by players at present. So they had a game. It sucked. And now they're spinning up a new game saying, oh, we got it right this time. Quote, Magic of Universe is officially inviting you to cooperate and be our partner. And together, we both enjoy the benefits as part of our offer. As a committed partner, we need you to be prompt and enthusiastic in your online gaming passion and posting content, videos, and or posts about our game promotion that'll make you earn money and a sure chance to join our close, close, Beta 1 testing in December. They mean closed, past tense, and they want you to be a shiller. They want you to get in so you can shill it and cash out. Quote, at your discretion and good timing, you also need to invite online gamers to avail our game, you mean experience, using your own referral code that would automatically be checked in our system, which will meet the company's quota for commission purposes. That last sentence I just read, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, That is the exposure. This is what the shills want. There's a quota they expect and they pay a commission for driving traffic to a project. This is why Leicester does not support shills or shillers because we know that it's just money-driven. The goal is not for the project to do good by the investors. The goal is to enrich the developers and enrich the shillers. And I mean true shillers, People that don't care about you, don't care about the project, don't provide any fundamentals, don't provide any data to back up why they're doing a thing. They're just trying to drive traffic to you. So if you see Magic of Universe spinning around, if you're on social media, or you hear of Magic Universe, or you happen to see some ad about Magic of Universe, I just broke down what they sent me requesting that I shill their crappy project. And it's, I'm pretty confident That the coverage I've done so far is the antithesis, the exact opposite, the complete polar opposite of a shill because I am a neutral coverage person. I'll call it like I see it. You guys already are on my hit list with an S because you did this outreach trying to get me to shill your product and you openly admit that you have a commission for doing so. You don't want neutral coverage. And guess what? I will make sure I act them because I want them to hear this because I want them to do better because projects like this are the reason nobody trusts crypto anymore because we do garbage like this instead of trying to succeed with a quality project and trying to succeed with quality feedback and doing right. Again, I can tell that who wrote this is not a native English speaker. It isn't even about what country you're from. It's about, how you do the project and understanding the cultural nuances from a worldwide. If you're going to create a worldwide audience project, you better darn sure almost cuss darn sure understand how all the different cultural nuances play in together. If you don't, you shouldn't get in the business because you're going to embarrass yourself out of it. Starting with my coverage here, because I didn't see any other coverage of it. I didn't go deep into it because I was so offended by them sending this. So, Magic of Universe, if you want to take a look at it, magicofuniverse.games. And maybe you like it because maybe you like the game and maybe you're okay with the fact that they're so-called white paper is crap, and maybe you're okay with them asking for shillers and maybe you just want the profit or maybe you just like the game. I encourage you to take a look at it. Don't just take my word and not take a look at it. Take a look at it for yourself. Maybe it makes sense for you. Maybe all you invest in are game projects. Maybe you don't care that they go after shillers. Maybe you're so in NFTs that you think it's worth at least a look. I encourage you to look at them. I'm just telling you what I see. Any token that proactively reaches out and asks me to shill their project, I will out them because I don't think they're worth your time from my perspective because they're not gonna respect you as an investor. They don't care about you. They care about their profit and the profit of the shillers that are shilling the project and at some point I suspect this dude would rug pull because I don't see anything fundamental about it. I don't see I don't see any audits, I don't see locked liquidity, I, the ownership certainly not renounced. I, the doxing is a joke. Like there's nothing around it that makes me say this is worth anybody's time. And then this garbage, I would say they're gone uh, before the year's end. Probably before mid-year is my guess. Anyhow, that's magic of universe. You want to take a look at it? That's all I got for you today. Hopefully this has been very informative as an episode. We will be back again on Thursday for our next episode we did not get our token guest, the token guest back down and their investors are rather pissed off. So that one will not happen and will not go forward as planned. We will let you know if we do get another guest on the show, we welcome every last one of them. We're still trying to get pair token on the show. We'd love to talk to them, any of them, doesn't matter, uh, because we, we do want to help. We do want to help. We do it neutral. We do want to help. And as long as we're free to give the pros and the cons and the goods and the bads, We'll cover anybody. We'll talk to anybody because we think that there's an appetite for truly neutral coverage. The last point I'll make before I wrap up, there has been strong demand for us to cover a new token and I've hesitated covering it because it's not out. I wanted to be fair to them again, we're neutral coverage. I don't want to be biased early on because who knows what could happen when the thing launches, it's going to launch here soon. We have a new partnership that was been signed that one's going to go live as soon as I hear back from him. That partnership, that that episode, when I cover that new token, they're going to go at the same time because there's a mutual beneficial aspect to that. So hold tight. For those that have sent the form in requesting, we cover it. And I've got a couple of those. We read it. We understand. I said on social media, we understand. It's coming. Give us some time. We're not going to get too far ahead of it. We want to make sure we do due diligence. We're not going to just jump into an unfair assessment. We want to be all fair. So it is coming. It's coming. Keep an eye out for that episode. Until we talk to you on Thursday, take care, stay safe, please. Everything will pass. We will get back to a good track. Just don't yellow into things. Hold the line and stay strong. It's it's a rough world, but stay strong. We're gonna we're gonna get past all this.